All hands, this is the captain speaking. Starfleet has confirmed reports that Romulus was destroyed two weeks ago by an ultranova in the adjacent Toba system. The colonies and subjugated worlds that survived are in need of humanitarian aid. Arabella has been assigned to a convoy that will cross the neutral zone in order to provide assistance. We are uncertain of the reception we will receive, but it is it likely, likely we will be met with resistance from the Romulan people. They won't want to accept charity from the Federation, but the captain says we should be prepared to accept evacuees and deal with confrontations with rogue members of the military. Security teams will need to be ready at a moment's notice. We'll we will begin, begin drills at 0800 to prepare. Sick bay may be inundated with ill and wounded. I don't want my department to be overwhelmed. Many of you were a part of the staff aboard the Tiberius. You were seasoned veterans. I know you are fully capable of handling this situation. Shields up. Red alert. Captain, our shields cannot take much more. Beyond the neutral zone, the Romulan people suffer in chaos. The Hobus Ultra Nova laid waste to their fractured empire. Stability has crumbled and infrastructure ravaged. Friend and foe amass in shadows, waiting to pick their bones. Yet the Federation takes nothing but their burdens. These are the voyages of Arabella, the flagship of the Seventh Fleet. Its mission, to defend the helpless, to render aid where needed, to befriend a former enemy, to boldly go where no Starfleet vessel has gone before. Hello, this is The Ready Room, the Treks and Sci-Fi Microcast. This is episode number 62. Once again, Jen, Rick, and I have been super busy, so we won't be doing any commentary for this week's readings. But we did want to get them out to you guys, so let's take a listen. This is going to be post 40 to post 65, so take it away. In the engine room, Catan struggled not to rush Ryla while she dealt with her Romulan patients. Commander James' last message indicated that time was of the essence, but he trusted the doctor's judgment on how to best handle the triage. Biting his tongue, he took a quick inventory of the room. The commander indicated that deactivating the cloak might buy us some time, he thought. Thanks to the brief, tenuous alliance shared by the Klingons and Romulans during the 23rd century, there were many similarities between the technology used by both races. Most notable was the fact that on both Romulan and Klingon ships, the intense power demand of the cloaking device required that it be tied directly into the deflector shield grid. In fact, this was the primary cause of the well-known fault of cloaking technology, a ship could either deploy shields or engage the cloak, but never the two simultaneously. Drawing on his limited knowledge of Romulan writing, Catan tried to locate a maintenance access for the deflector shield grid. Within a few minutes, he spotted a panel marked with a bright green rendering of the Romulan glyph for danger. Directly beneath it was the symbol for shields. Catan turned to the seated Romulans. Our ship has detected an instability with your power system. The drain being caused by your cloaking device is exasperating this problem. Unless we deactivate the cloak, this vessel could explode at any moment. 
As if to punctuate his statement, a harsh alarm klaxon suddenly erupted, accompanied by the rhythmic pulsing of sickly green warning lights. We're running out of time. Catan paused a moment to glance at Ryla, then hurried over to the access panel. The hatch opened easily, revealing a dimly lit crawl space reminiscent of the Jeffreys tube found on Federation starships. Activating his palm light, he crouched down and began crawling. As he made his way into the tunnel, Catan's heart felt like it was sinking itself to the muffled wail of the Romulan alarm. I'd better hurry, he thought. Moments later, he smiled in relief as he spotted the familiar shape of the deflector hub. Following a series of cables leading from the shield grid regulator, Catan came to a fork in the crawl space. He followed the cables around a bend to the left and was rewarded with the sight of a horizontally oriented cylindrical device. The meter-long object vaguely resembled a torpedo. It tapered at each end, with the cables he followed flowing into the nearest end. This must be it, he thought. It's certainly a lot shinier than a Klingon cloaking device. The device was encased in a series of interlocked metallic panels of alternating silver and matte black. After a moment of study, Catan inserted the tip of his deca into the joint of the two panels. Using the knife as a lever he applied gradually increasing pressure until one of the black panels popped free. He then shimmied forward until he could peer into the opening and activated his palm light to reveal a translucent hemisphere capped by a metallic plasma conduit housing. This must be the projection matrix. He followed a faintly glowing plasma conduit to a small cylinder-type device surrounded by a series of polished metal rods. And if I'm lucky, this is the Tetrion compositor. He slipped his blade beneath the conduit connecting the two units and began to apply pressure. Severing the connection should short out the compositor, taking the device offline, he thought. Either that, or it will shoot enough volts into me to let me find out firsthand whether or not Stovacor is real. As his fingers tightened on the knife, Catan broke out into a cold sweat. After a moment's pause, he gave a mental shrug. Oh well, he thought, and slashed his blade through the cable. Dr. Casey Peterson arrived at Deck 5 with his rose in his hand and stepped off the turbo lift. He headed down the corridor to sickbay and entered. Maella was standing by the computer console finishing her inventory of surgical supplies. Hi, dear, Maella responded as she finished her last entry. Casey smiled as he handed her the rose, replying, For you, dear, since I have a few days off before my shift... I thought I'd come down here and give you a hand, just in case some injured personnel are coming in on the shuttle. Casey smiled at his wife as she took the rose and put it on the desk beside her workstation. Casey walked by her and said, I'm going to go set up the surgical bays with supplies so that they'll all be ready in case they're needed. Okay, Myella responded as she watched her husband disappear into the surgical area and began setting the bays up for wounded Romulans. As Galdar sat watching the bridge viewscreen and tracking the ever-changing course projection on his console, a ripple seemed to pass across the space before him. Where there had previously been nothing but stars, the remainder of the crippled Romulan vessel now appeared, her battered and torn hull revealing the extent of the havoc that had been wreaked upon her. Whether revealed by a technological failure or by the hand of one of those on board, the Ferengi couldn't tell. Over to his right, Ensign Frida was already bent to his own displays. Analyzing the relative wealth of sensor data now suddenly available from the damaged containment systems at the heart of the vessel's engine core, where before it had only been possible to provide an approximation of the time remaining to the ship, 
Now the ensign should be able to determine a figure to a much greater accuracy. Frida looked tense, Skaldar thought. But then, as with many of this crew, it was his first time aboard the ship, and probably his first bridge duty shift. Galdar smiled slightly at the thought. While he was new to the Arabella's bridge, he had served on the Tiberius with many of these officers, so he had the advantage of knowing them at least by personal reputation, if not personally. As a shuttle pilot, he'd worked his shifts away from the bridge and close to the flight deck of Tiberius, which meant he knew Commander James quite well. Indeed, it had been that relationship that had brought him from the Luxembourg to the Arabella and gained him the second shiny rank pip on his uniform. Knowing the commander, however, was not the same as knowing his wife, which was why Galdar himself was still a little unsure around the captain. Feeling himself observed, Frida sat back and looked across at the lieutenant. He smiled slightly before taking a deep breath, as if stealing himself for something. Captain, he called. With the cloak disabled, I've been able to get a better reading on the rate of singularity containment decay. It's not as bad as our initial estimate suggested, but with the power drain of the cloak out of the equation, that's to be expected. He paused for breath again. What we're looking at now is a worst-case estimate of 50 minutes, with the best case adding another half hour to those figures. Eric smiled as interference faded and a collection of life signs became apparent in a cargo bay previously protected by the cloak of this ship. Mr. DeCallan, I have a hit in the cargo bay, the commander said and altered their course for that direction. He continued to wave his tricorder over the systems of the ship as they moved forward. Once there, we should get them out as quickly as possible. As soon as this interference clears, we might be able to use the transporters on the Arabella. We're running out of time. Catan's heavy statement of fact dominated the restless assembly, causing their murmurs to abruptly cease. Ryla turned her gaze to him as she moved to the next injured Romulan. The Terran's eyes met hers just as the alarm klaxon began to pound, making an echo chamber of the engine room. The pulsing, blood-green light that followed gave their concerned expressions a nauseous contrast. Catan's glance lingered for a heartbeat, then the light faded. Before it could strobe again, he had turned on his heel and disappeared into a crawl space, leaving the trill alone with the host of distressed passengers. Before her, a puncture wound oozed on a woman's chest. The whir of the tricorder was muted by the alarm's inexorable bray as Ryla studied the analysis of her medical instrument. She started as a voice from behind spoke up. Senator Navash's decision to allow your boarding was not met with widespread acceptance. The man knelt beside her, gesturing to the patient the doctor had previously attended. Yet Senator Ketelek's disfavor was greater than the sum of our own, and he attempted to kill her for dishonoring us all. I had to strike him with this to stop his onslaught. He presented Ryla with a small metal globe at the end of his staff but the trill did not pause her work to look at it. In spite of the pain in her wrist, the doctor moved rapidly over Navash. If the Romulan's life was going to be spared, the senator would need surgery. She turned to the man crouched beside her. Press your hands against the wound. He stared at her a moment, then moved his palms to cover the hole that grinned at them from below the woman's collarbone. Fortunately, the blade had missed her lungs, but the flow of blood would kill her if they did not leave soon. The doctor pushed a hypo into the woman's neck and flicked her hazel eyes to the Romulan acting as her medical aide. I'm going to check on the others. Keep your hands over the wound. She tried to smile. Hopefully we'll be out of here soon, and your efforts to save her will be successful. He nodded in understanding as Ryla shuffled away, the slow beat of the green warning lights uncovering her rapid progress every other second. Eric and Joseph entered the cargo hold and scanned the Romulan people within. 
They all looked at them. Jersey spared a sly glance for Eric. The first officer carefully advanced. I am Commander James of the Starfleet ship Arabella. We are here to assist you. Your ship is unstable and should be abandoned. Our vessel is capable of providing medical aid and transport. If you will come with us, we will show you to our runabout and begin the evacuation. Mr. DeCarlin is here to assist you. If you will provide him with your credentials, we will pass them on to your council. Mr. DeCarlin, if you please. Jersey smiled and slowly stepped forward. He held his pad out and asked for the first of the Romulan names. Ligat Rayan stood in the back of the cold, dark cargo hold, watching the two Starfleet officers with a rabid inclination. A tall, dark-haired human, a security officer by the looks of his uniform, talked to several of the Romulan leaders before his eyes met Raylan's. The Cardassian did not flinch as the human noted him. The Carlin nodded to him, then to Commander James. Sir? he said quietly. I don't want to cause a stir, but there's a Cardassian standing at the back of the hold. The Carlin smiled at Eric as he turned his back to Raylan and continued tapping a description into his pad. Eric chanced to look over to Carlin's shoulder and observed the out-of-place passenger. He must be in charge of the rescue team, thought Rayan. His chest heaved as he walked slowly toward them, looking side to side as the Romulans cleared a path for him. Eric met the Cardassian halfway. Starfleet. What a pleasant surprise. I am Liget Rayan of the Central Command, and you are? Eric straightened. We are in a bit of a hurry, sir. I would be more than happy to resume pleasantries once we are safely back on my own ship. The Cardassian smiled, not taking his eyes off James. He leaned forward slightly. Terrible pilots, these Romulans. Lieutenant Commander de Carlin stepped to Eric and Ryland's side and addressed the first officer. Sir, are we ready to move out? Eric kept his eyes locked on Ryland. Begin the evacuation, Mr. de Carlin. Perhaps the legate here can assist you in getting everyone where they need to be. Josie smiled and gestured to the Cardassian. After you, sir. Valen's brow raised slightly, causing his ridges to crumple, yet he refused to show the disdain he held within. Of course, he replied. His amiable smile flashed brightly in the gloom of the cargo hold. Nala moved silently through the entryway to the equipment storage locker, making sure that no one spotted her. On the far side of the small room was her destination the auxiliary hangar bay access panel. She hoped any Starfleet personnel left in the bay would be facing the main door and that this would provide her entry without being detected. She held her breath for a moment before making her entrance and thought back to a day many years before. She was 12 years old and the two older boys had confronted her on the street by her home. Traitor! they had yelled, and Nala braced for what was to come. But instead of accepting the abuse, she lashed out in rage. She could never recall the particulars, but she could clearly remember the startled, bloodied faces of her tormentors, staring up at her from the ground. She would need to find that place again, if there was someone inside standing in her way. To freedom. The door parted quietly, and Nala could see the Federation shuttle. Moving further into the bay, she knelt down onto the floor to look underneath. She could see a pair of boots on the opposite side. A guard had been left behind. She moved along the flank of the ship and slowly around the far edge. The guard's back was turned, and to Nala's surprise, 
she could see long dark braided hair. It was a woman, a weak human woman, she thought as her confidence bolstered. Dalen, while standing next to the ship, had heard many sounds while she was standing there. Only one had bothered her so far, though. It was the one which her sensitive ears had picked up on no more than ten minutes before. The noise had originated from the other side of the runabout, reminding her of fabric moving or a ghostly echo of life. But when she had looked, she had seen nothing. In response, she pocketed the tricorder and moved her hands away from the device. Her instincts kicked in, accompanied by a cold chill of excitement and fear rushing through her. A sudden desire to step forward once and pivot nearly possessed her, but being unsure of what to expect, she simply moved her hand closer to where her phaser rested on her hip for the time being. Nala quickly moved towards the ensign, her hands clenched together in a fist she would bring down hard on the back of the woman's skull, rendering the guard unconscious. Just as she raised her hand to deliver the blow, she unexpectedly turned, and Nala froze as she stared into the face of another Romulan. As the pair stood nearly toe-to-toe, Shelby's gray orbs reflected the visage of the Romulan woman who had been about to attack her. Noting the tightly clasped hands and the determined scowl etched onto her face, the officer's instincts told her to fire. The woman was dangerous. Eric's words rebounded, though. No altercations. The ensign tilted her head curiously. Not quite the way you repay someone who can save your life, is it? Narrowing her gaze at the newcomer, the security officer's gut instinct screamed at her lack of attention. She knew Romulans well, having grown up with them. She gave a second's pause, probably more than she should have given to her opponent. Nala's opportunity for surprise was now gone. She released her clenched hands and, in an almost graceful motion, she struck out with her palm hard into Shelby's sternum, lifting her off her feet and sending her painfully skidding on her back across the deck. The expression on Dalen's face indicated her own sense of shock. Clearly, she hadn't been expecting to be assaulted by the very people they were here to rescue. Shaking her head, Shelby lifted immediately back to her feet and she growled at the Romulan. Vial! Nala screamed as she lunged towards Shelby. Before her momentum was able to help her, the ensign rewarded the alien with a stunning roundhouse kick to the side of her head, which sent her sprawling to the officer's left. There was no waiting anymore in Shelby's mind. She had tried to be civil and had been attacked as a result. Her eyes went to the downed woman. Angry, beyond any comprehension, Nala shouted again as she spun into the wall and then pushed herself up onto her feet automatically. She kicked out at the dark-haired woman, who deflected the strikes with one arm, then the other in sync. Flowing in a smooth turn, 
the Romulan took the officer off guard once more, backhanding her harshly and throwing her onto the runabout's bulkhead. Groaning, Dalen's head and face throbbed as she pushed away from the vessel instinctively. She had had enough of this. As she turned to face her attacker, the Romulan's voice reached an octave that Shelby wasn't sure she had heard before as refugees' charge began. Without waiting any longer, Shelby took action, drawing her phaser and firing it directly into the midsection of the Romulan and dropping her like a rock. Out of breath and aching, Shelby wasn't sure that she had completely incapacitated her vicious rival. Moving close, but not close enough this time, Dalen looked down at her as she reached up and felt some blood coming from a scrape along her temple. Haiwa Viru! The anger which had built up in the half-Romulan longed to do more. Her sensibilities and her duty were telling her otherwise. You're no better than any of the rest of them. Breathing heavily, she bound the woman, loaded and secured her inside the runabout, making sure not to place her anywhere near anything vital to the performance of the ship. She would have to brief the XO and a Callan as soon as time permitted. When she was done, the security officer moved to a seat near the entrance, and she waited. Savril watched the view screen with serene self-possession as the bridge crew busied themselves about her. The rescue team had been aboard the Romulan transport for over 20 minutes, their only contact with the Arabella being an acknowledgement of its captain's warning and call for haste. Despite the lack of verbal communications, the bond she held with her first officer allowed confirmation that all was well. She refrained from distracting him with projected inquiries. Instead, the Vulcan sought only a sense of his emotional state. Though Eric was focused on his task, the half-Elorian was not stressed, which put the captain at ease. Her ever-impassive face remained so as she turned her dark-eyed gaze to the Bolian seated at her left. He and the chief science officer's words of encouragement were not exactly appropriate for the bridge, but she had not been their captain for more than three weeks. Though she strictly adhered to protocol, she was still their friend, and let the overstep go. Besides, their words of encouragement had helped. I am grateful for your consul, Mr. Margon, she said in a lowered voice. The counselor smiled in response. I would like you to visit the various departments, to monitor the crew's disposition, and remind them, when necessary, that I do not wish the evacuees to be treated as suspects. After backing out of the maintenance tunnel, Catan headed back to Dr. Drett and the group of passengers gathered around her. As the doctor busily moved among the Romulans, Catan couldn't help notice that her hands appeared to be painted green. In fact, the wet glistening pigment seemed to extend all the way up to her rolled up sleeves. I guess she's not squeamish as I first supposed, he mused. That's yet another point in her favor. Wait, he thought. Exactly when did I start keeping a mental tally of the woman's merits and shortcomings? What concern is it of mine? Seeking to end his troublesome train of thought, Catan forced himself back to the matter at hand. Excuse me, Doctor. I've deactivated the ship's cloak, which should buy us some time. But we still need to get these people to the shuttle as quickly as possible. 
Are they all well enough to move yet? As the doctor turned to answer, Catan noticed that she seemed to favor one of her wrists. A look of concern crossed his face. Are you all right? Ligat Ryan walked slightly ahead of Joseph de Cullen. So, Ensign, I find it interesting how the good old Federation is so eager to help this Romulan craft. Joseph smiled. He'd been in Starfleet way too long to rise to such an obvious tease. Oh, you know, we do enjoy our humanitarian ways, Gul Rayan. Rayan flicked his head at Decalan. It's Legate, Rayan. Joseph smiled. And I'm Lieutenant Commander Decalan. Nice to have that cleared up. Now, if you'd be so kind, please do concentrate on where you are walking. I, uh... Who wouldn't want you to go banging your head? Ryan looked forward. Your concern is duly noted, Lieutenant Commander. From the back of the group, Commander Jones smiled gently as the conversation, but broke his thoughts by a blip on his tricorder. He turned as he walked to see parts of the corridor begin to shake. Main Engineering The turbolift doors hissed shut as the Vulcan engineer turned to face them, the car commencing its graceful acceleration soon afterwards. Provision of emergency accommodation was progressing well, but it appeared that a greater share of available power would be beneficial to the efforts of the engineering crew. Free to the Tolok, the disembodied voice of the young bridge officer intruding on his thoughts, the lieutenant commander tapped his chest. Tolok here. Go ahead, Ensign. Sir, the cloak has been disabled aboard the Rhineland ship. It might now be possible, Frida began, to use the transporters to recover some of those aboard. Tolok completed his subordinate sentence. Understood, Ensign. Tolok out. The Vulcan tapped his chest again. Tolok to Frep. Sir? The Denobulan's voice was alert as always. Chief, please commence another transport scan of the Romulan ship. The cloak has been disabled, so it may be possible to transport survivors. I am on my way to join you. Aye, sir. Frep out. Computer, reroute. Transporter room one. The level tones betrayed no emotion. Acknowledged. The Vulcan stood motionless, mentally working through possible transport scenarios until the lift arrived at its destination. Given the damage to the Romulan ship, it was not guaranteed that the transport would be possible even without the cloak in operation. So much of Romulan technology was unknown, and even in full working order, there was a good chance that something would interfere with the process. With the ship in the state it was in, however, those chances had been multiplied many times. Frep stood at the raised transporter console, cycling through various scan combinations as he attempted to determine the number and location of the survivors aboard the vessel before the Arabella. With the cloak down, a number of new life signs had appeared on his scan, but the picture was hazy and the target discrimination wasn't anything as good as he wanted. The Arabella crew stood out clearly, at least. The equipment attached to their uniforms doing the job it had been designed for, but the remainder of the lifeforms aboard were still masked or distorted in some manner. The Denobulan looked up, briefly as the doors hissed open and Commander Tolok entered, but quickly bent back to his scan. We can see most of them now, sir, he said as the Vulcan joined him behind the console, but getting a lock on them all isn't going to be possible. Tolok nodded as he looked over the Denobulan's shoulder. It is reasonable to assume that whatever damage they have sustained has polluted the atmosphere with various substances and radiation that will interfere with transport. Moving to the rear control interface, the chief engineer began to manipulate the sensor bandwidth allocation, attempting to further resolve the detected life signs. It was another five minutes before Frep straightened and Tolok stepped back from his panel. That's as good as we'll get, sir, the chief stated with a hint of disappointment. I agree, chief. It is also logical to assume that conditions aboard the vessel will deteriorate further the longer we try and increase our sensitivity, thus neutralizing the benefits of any extended effort. Frep simply nodded. 
tapping a panel before him. Tolok cocked his head slightly. Tolok to bridge. Go ahead, came back the gruff voice of the new Ferengi Khan officer. Please inform the captain that we are now in the position of being able to remove the crew of the damaged vessel one or two at a time if required, Tolok stated flatly. We also have a solid lock on each of our own crew members should we need to get them back aboard quickly. If the away team can set up some pattern enhancers, we may be able to improve upon our estimated transport rate. Acknowledged. Bridge out. Are you all right? The Trill's attention was suddenly drawn from her work by Catan's inquiries. Ryla's anxiety was high, and her voice had been trained by the persistent bleat of the alarm, which caused her answer to come like the crack of a Ferengi's whip. Yes! Her reply echoed in the engine room. It was then that she noticed the klaxon had died, and the relentless strobe of the queasy lights had finally ceased. The intensity of her hoarse voice surprised even her, and she continued in a softer tone. Thank you. I'll be fine. Ryla absently brushed her hair from her eyes, completely unaware that the action left a green smudge large enough to obscure the spots on her forehead. Recalling Catan's first question, the doctor glanced about the room. We're ready, though there are some here who will need to be carried. She carefully stooped to gather her medkit, and located the man who still held his hands over Senator Navash's wound. Dr. Drett pointed to two other men standing nearby. I need your help to carry the senator. One of the men wandered away, unwilling to provide the assistance she requested. The individual who stayed behind recruited another candidate and moved to Navash's side. Thank you, said Ryla. The tension in the room had not broken. She and Catan were still unwelcome, but survival was more important at the moment, and the Romulans tolerated the rescue team. What is your name? Ryla asked the man who had faithfully held his hands over the wound on the senator's chest. Poivon. I'm Senator Ketlek's aide. The trill raised her brow at that. The man struck his employer for his vicious attack on Navash. Ryla felt guilty for being surprised. You'll need to keep pressure against the wound as they carry her. I understand, he said grimly. The doctor pitched her gaze to Ketlek, who was now being lifted by the man who had refused to carry Navash. She frowned in thought. The roots of politics have yet to wither, even though their government died weeks ago. Lead the way, Mr. Catan, she said with a sigh. At the moment, Ryla was not the least bit irritated by his presence. An abnormal condition, to be sure. She wondered if it would become easier to tolerate him the longer they worked together. Maybe we could eventually be friends. The trill chuckled wryly at the stray thought, but quickly choked it down. The laugh had been an improbable sound for such a dismal state of affairs, and it struck her as sounding a bit unstable. The group of evacuees was led into the corridor and towards the shuttle bay. Dret cringed as a woman bumped into her arm. The trill lifted the wrist to eye level, and in the dimness she could see that it was swollen. She shifted her gaze to the Romulan who collided with her. It was the same woman who had broken her wrist in the engine room. The Romulan leveled Dr. Dret with a corrosive glower. The fires of her contempt were seeping into the air to burn the Starfleet officer. Your pardon, the woman hissed. Dret returned the glare before nodding an acceptance of apology. The shuttle bay was not much further. We can't stop now, she thought. I'll repair the bone once we're safely aboard the Arabella. The deck suddenly rumbled beneath their feet. The diagnostic monitoring the Arabella's navigational deflector systems continued to report that the system was working within accepted parameters, just as Lester had thought it would. 
The fact that the Arabella had had to extend her main shields to encompass the Romulan vessel in effect made them superfluous for the time being anyway. Turning in his chair, he tapped the controls to scan the Romulan ship once again. Word had reached engineering that the ship didn't have long, but at least the arduous process of evacuating the refugees was underway. You didn't have to be an engineer to know that it wasn't a good idea to be under the same shields as a ship that could blow any minute. Lester found himself wishing that the destruction wasn't inevitable, as he would give anything to, t to take an up-close look at that warp core. Suddenly, his instruments beeped to indicate a change in the circumstances of the subject being scanned, and Lester witnessed the Romulan vessel become fully visible. Somebody had managed to deactivate the cloak. This pleased him, and as he expected, soon after a check for transporter activity showed scans being performed on the new areas of the vessel. Great, we may make it out of here after all, he muttered under his breath. As Catan, Dr. Drett, and the Romulan charges slowly made their way down the passageway, another tremor shook the deck. Catan signaled for the group to wait for the floor to stabilize. As the rumbling abated, he referred to his pad. We should be in the shuttle bay shortly. With luck, we'll soon be on our way to safety. A hard-faced Romulan woman to his left gave a snort of contempt. <laughs> How wonderful! The so-called safety of the Federation starship. And I'm sure that once on board, we'll be treated to a nice, relaxing trip to your interrogation chamber. No doubt you will provide entertainment as well. Perhaps an invigorating visit by your torturers who will pick our brains for the Empire's secrets. The woman's scowl deepened, and her lip curled into a snarl. Eremahavamusu! Indeed, Catan replied with a snarl of his own. And you? His response was cut short by the ear-splitting shriek of a tortured metal, and the screams of the group as the floor seemed to drop under their feet. The momentary disorientation of freefall was cruelly cut short. All were suddenly violently slammed back into the unyielding deck plating. The lights flickered, then died, leaving only the green flash of the alarm signal and the whimpers of fear and pain that rose from the sprawled group. Catan painfully got up on his feet and surveyed the group. The doctor was kneeling over the Romian with a chest wound, a wound that seemed to be bleeding more freely. The senator is growing worse, she said. If we try to move her, I doubt she'll make it. Catan glanced back at the passage leading to the shuttle bay, and his expression fell. He gave a small sigh. We won't be going that way in any event. The doctor looked up to see the passage completely blocked by a twisted jumble of support struts and metal beams protruding down from the deck above. According to Senator Navash, a rogue warbird had been the reason for the disabled transport's current situation. The Arabella's shields, which now encompassed the Romulan vessel, were extended to protect the crippled ship from a second attack. Now, it seemed, the warbird's return was at the bottom of Savril's list of concerns. The transport vessel's warp core was about to go critical, and she could not retract the shields without hindering the Arabella's ability to beam their crewmen and the evacuees aboard. With the cloaking device down, the possibility of transporter locks had been furthered, and the rescue team was in the process of enhancing their patterns. She sat forward in her chair as the bridge crew intermittently dispensed the information their scans gathered. Cyril knew the cloaking device was not only deactivated, but more than likely tucked away ready for transport back to the Arabella. 
The Treaty of Algoron prohibited the implementation of cloaking technology by the Federation, but Eric argued that the use of such resources extended only to Starfleet vessels. His goal was to incorporate the technology with the Aurora's systems. The ship he built was not a part of the fleet, which led him to believe his plan was well within the bounds of Federation law. In his mind, the cloak would properly outfit the Aurora for evacuating the crew's children should the fleet encounter a situation it could not survive. Though Savril was in agreement with the contingency plan, she did not intend to sabotage the fleet's mission as an envoy of peace by hunting the leftovers of the maimed empires. It was difficult enough to convince the Romulans that the Federation wished only to offer aid. They were a suspicious people, and those the Seventh Fleet encountered believed the Federation sought to conquer them. If the fleet became scavengers, the Romulans would never accept the olive branch extended, thus defeating the purpose of their mission. They debated the point over several Domjot games, but Eric had never come to her way of thinking. He could be uncompromising when it came to the protection of his family, and he held that responsibility slightly above his duties as an officer. Commander James was stubborn, and his nature often brought him trouble before he was bonded to Savril. Their pairing had given them each balance. His wife offered logic, poise, and a broadened perspective, while he offered her a heightened confidence, ingenuity, and a longer lifespan. At the moment, the logic their bond lent him was being overwhelmed by his stubborn disposition. It was now obvious that her first officer required a direct order to discourage his attempts. Helm crouched on his haunches in the hangar bay, shifting his gaze from his pad to the hangar doors and back again. The highly trained crew did not currently need his help, though he was more than willing to give it. Like any Starfleet Academy graduate, he was trained in all areas of ship operations, from medic to mechanic, but also like any Starfleet Academy graduate, he knew when to stay out of the way and when the specialists were at work. He wasn't concerned. Rather, be plenty of work to do as soon as the evacuees arrived. He used his pad to look up some common Romulan phrases. Even though the universal translator system made it possible to communicate, he knew that hearing someone speak in your native tongue was always preferable to the very slightly computerized translation, especially in tense situations. A fed, um, practice aloud, ignoring the glances of those around him. Language had never been his strong point, but it was very important to his job, so he struggled through it. His job. When he came aboard the Arabella, he had no idea he would be fully engaged in his assignment so soon. For under the direct command of Captain Surreal and her command crew, his assignment came from the Federation. His mind wandered back in time. Herm had just returned to Risa following his Starfleet Academy graduation. For hours, he had received literally hundreds of offers from universities and archaeological societies all over the quadrant. Apparently, news of the work he had done on Omega Leonis had gotten around. He let the computer play the messages as he packed his few belongings. He didn't yet know where he would unpack them, but he was ready to go. Computer, skip message, he said, during one particularly long-winded message. There was truly only one message he was waiting for, his orders from Starfleet. He knew that in spite of the great opportunities available, there was only one crew that offered him what no others could. Starfleet could take him out there, where no man has gone before, as they used to say. Herm was in the process of packing his beloved paintbrushes when a computer suddenly beeped, interrupting the litany of messages. Incoming message from the Federation. Current Starfleet personal only, the computer declared. Please enter ID number for authorization. 
Concerned, Herm reached over to the keypad to enter his personal number. Messages like this, especially delivered to new ensigns, were rare and were never good news. Herm finished punching in his number and the computer continued. Starfleet intelligence relates that Romulus has been destroyed. Repeat, the planet Romulus has been destroyed. All Starfleet personnel are asked to be on high alert for emergency deployment in light of possible attack by surviving Romulan agents. More information will follow. The computer dropped off. Herm flopped heavily on the floor. The loss of any life was sad news, but the loss of an entire civilization was devastating. To someone like him, with the utmost respect for any culture and their arts, the news was a blow to the stomach. He sat on the floor for hours, pondering the losses brought to the galaxy. In spite of their distrust of the Federation, there was always the hope that someday the curtain would lift and Romulus would open up to the neighbors, sharing their art and culture. Now that hope was gone, and all was lost. Slowly he got up and continued to pack. Herm was shaken from his flashback by the sound of something clanging on the deck. Sorry! Some young voice sounded from somewhere. The crew of the Arabella was unlike any he had expected to encounter. They had to be the most diverse collection of people he had ever met. From a Vulcan captain to the Bolian counselor to the Ferengi pilot. But he could learn from these people. And now here he was, awaiting his first contact with the Romulans. This is what the Federation sent him out here for. His mind drifted again. Two weeks he had been home, and still no word from Starfleet. This was unusual. Often, newly graduated cadets were sent straight from San Francisco to their postings. However, the destruction of Romulus had changed everything. Hermit busied himself catering to the tourist trade and was his planet's only industry by playing music at various venues around his hometown. This is where his assignment finally found him. He was in the middle of a particularly difficult chess tune on a nerve instrument known as a guitar when his Starfleet-issued communicator beeped. He cut the tune short and left the stage. Upon activating the communicator, the computer voice chimed. Incoming message from the Federation Office of Archaeological Affairs. Please wait for Consular Velorum. The Federation? Archaeological Affairs? Why were they contacting him? Something twitched in Herm's stomach as he waited. Finally, a new voice, deep and serious, came from a communicator. And Sein Hamaratlo, I presume? Yes, Counselor, Herm croaked. Of course, he was very familiar with Counselor Valorum's position at the Federation and his work in both opening and preserving archaeological sites for scientists and schoolers. I am speaking to you on behalf of the Federation and Starfleet on an urgent matter. This concerns your assignment within Starfleet, but more importantly, we need you to represent the Federation's archaeological and anthropological arm. Are you in a secure location so we may talk? Yes, Counselor, but perhaps I should speak to you at home. It would only take a minute, Ensign. There is no time. I need you to start walking to the nearest transporter station for immediate beaming aboard the Starship Inspector, which is in orbit above Riser. Yes, Counselor, Herm again replied, always very polite. But my belongings... You will have to make arrangements to have them sent to you. I need to be brief. Please let me continue. You are to report to Captain Zavrilla of the Arabella. Further details of your assignment will be given once you are aboard the Inspector and are underway. But, Counselor, where am I going? I'm sorry, Ensign, but right now that's classified. However, you might want to brush up on your Romulan. Romulan? Counselor, but why... I cannot say more now. Please transport to the Inspector immediately. Again, his memory was interrupted by the noises about him. The hangar bay doors were opening, revealing the shimmering force field and the Romulan ship beyond. He was no expert, but the ship was obviously in serious condition. He hoped the away team made it back safely. He returned to studying his pad, but again his mind was on what led him here. Incoming message. Eyes only. The Federation had found him aboard the inspector. 
as expected. He had only just beamed aboard and then when the computer alerted him. Acknowledged, Herm replied, asking the transporter chief for a nearest secure terminal. He keyed in his ID and brought up the message. Ensign, you have been chosen for a very delicate assignment. Your work on various archaeological sites, and especially the insight you displayed on Omega Leonis, has shown that you are uniquely suited for this assignment. You have been assigned to the Arabella as the archaeology and anthropology officer. You are to report directly to Captain Savril, but you will also be under the direction of Councilor Valorum. The Arabella has been selected to lead a fleet into Romulan space on a humanitarian mission. Your job is to make an investigation into the remnants of Romulan culture. You will be given security clearance to communicate with any Romulans you may encounter as well as investigating any sites of interest that you may find. It is of utmost importance that we help the survivors of Romulus save and conserve whatever is left of their cultural identity. Their arts, music, literature, we must help them protect it. Given your experience and expertise, as well as your unusual racial heritage, you are the best choice to fill this post. You are alone in this mission, but you will be allowed to request aid from your captain as needed. Given the tenuous nature of the mission, we feel that this is the best course for your assignment. You will send Council of Valorum weekly updates of your work and what you have encountered. Your reports will be shared with any Romulan authorities as requested. We look forward to your findings. End of message. Romulan space. Romulans! Any fear he might have had was overwhelmed by the possibilities before him. He would be the first from the Federation to make a direct anthropological investigation into Romulan culture. He headed to the inspector's recreation lounge for a celebratory drink. This was a week ago. He was one of, if not the last crew member to report for duty before the Arabella got underway. Until today, his job had been to get acquainted with his ship, her captain, and its crew. He had already become well acquainted with the afterburner lounge. He had also spent some time studying what little was known of Romulan art, culture, and religion. He stood and looked anxiously toward the open bay. Did the damaged ship just shudder? He said a little prayer to his rising gods for the safe return of the away team and the Romulan survivors. From the looks of it, they better hurry. A quick glance at the wreckage blocking the passageway, and Catan knew that an alternate route to the Presidio would have to be found. He activated his pad and pulled up what seemed to be an accurate deck plan for the ship. Looks like one of the maintenance tunnels should bypass the obstruction, he said. It's a pretty tight fit, though, and involves a bit of climbing. He glanced back at the wounded senator, then turned to the doctor. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like your patient is well enough to do any climbing right now. Dr. Peterson finished preparing the surgical area and had everything ready. She briefly nodded to her husband before telling Nurse Kane to prepare the anti-grav stretchers to bring to the shuttle bay. Please keep everyone moving towards the shuttle bay, Eric said in Romulan, but with clear Vulcan accents and cadence as he calmly moved with the crowd. His voice rode to be heard over their ambient noise in a reassuring tone that had been honed on the battlefield and switched back to Federation standard. Joseph, we need to keep everyone moving. We're running out of time. Eric's thoughts turned to Savril, which gave his eyes a slightly vacant look. It was not the woman that was his wife, but the captain that he communicated with now. His pulse quickened in the silent exchange of information that had served them well over the four decades that they had been together. It was a command communication over the most secure and private channel the two had. It was an exchange of status reports and alterations to pre-existing plans once the new information was factored into the equation. Apart, yet never apart. It was true of all Vulcan parents, but their own bond exceeded the traditional in all ways. Saris Eshani Votau, the order in Gaelic came through like a shot in his mind. 
Her thought was a command, not a request. Quickly, do not delay. A heartbeat later, she followed with another. Leave the cloaking device behind. You are not there to scavenge their derelict vessel. Orders are orders, he responded with humor-laced thought. There was no need to mention his secondary objective. They knew each other too well. He had hoped that she would not see fit to give the order, but he understood her logic behind it. They were rescuers, not vultures. An advantage in the field would be a poor advantage if it cost them the fragile trust of those they were rescuing. De Gallen to Shelby. Get the shuttle ready, Joseph said over the soft clang of booted feet moving over the metal deck plating. Worried faces drifted past, soaked with sweat from the humidity generated from the failing life support of the transport. Already there, sir, came the woman's response. Immediately, the ensign moved to prepare the ship for their departure. Glancing back at her guest, who was still out cold, Shelby knew that she needed to let the commander know about her prisoner, which is how Delenn viewed her as. It was just a matter of timing. Reaching up to her combat, Shelby was about to notify DeCallan when the runabout system began to warn her of the rapidly disintegrated situation on the ship itself. The deep-flowing voice of the Romulan computer spoke out and informed the escaping group of the failing containment system. While he understood the Romulan words, his mental translation of the words were simple. Leave now or stay and die. Acrid blue smoke exited one of the console walls, adding a new scent to the stale, poorly recycled air. Eric tapped his badge while his eyes attempted to adjust to the pulsating green warning lights. James to Catan, what's your location, complement and ETA? Catan tapped his chest, activating his comm badge. The Doctor and I are currently just outside of main engineering. There are seven passengers with us, one in critical condition. Any word yet on the transporter? The Doctor feels that her patient would not survive a trip to the shuttle at this point. Catan found himself suddenly struggling to maintain his footing as the deck began to buckle beneath him. The tremor ceased, accompanied by the ominous creak and groan of stressed metal. Catan's heart began to beat faster as the sounds of impending destruction. The voice of Commander James issued from his combat, but the words were garbled and broken. Palms glowing slick with perspiration, Catan hit his combat once more. Come again, he said. I couldn't make out your last transmission. Glancing down, he noticed a sharp dent in the combat's casing. Damn, he thought. Must have been damaged when the deck collapsed. Fueled by adrenaline, Catan's thoughts raced. There has to be a way for us to punch through the transport of interference. As often happened in stressful situations, he found himself drawing on the tales of one of his secret childhood heroes, the human Captain James Kirk. Although reviled by many in the Empire, Starfleet's historic maverick captain was also granted grudging respect. And while he would never have admitted in any of his Klingon peers, Catan secretly idolised the man. For a human child living among Klingons, the legends of Kirk served as a protective shield for his sense of self-worth, and a constant reminder of what humans were capable of. What would Kirk do? As a new tremor shook the ship, Catan felt a moment of desperate inspiration. If the Arabella can't beam us up, perhaps we could beam ourselves to her. Catan turned to Dr. Dredd. I'm going to head to the shuttle and see if we can possibly boost his transporter systems to beam your patience to the ship. He smiled as a new thought occurred to him. Or perhaps we can slave the Pesido's transporter to that of the Arabella. The tension was like a dilithium crystal doomed to be cracked and waiting for the inevitability. While a silence was broken by a long breath, the weight of their situation suddenly thickened the air. What are you waiting for, Mr. Catan? She poured with emphasis. Go! Catan ran down the corridor as fast as he could. 
Each second that ticked by brought them all closer to a violent, fiery death. He smiled. He hadn't had this much fun in months. His breath came in deep, even gasps, each inhalation accompanied by the familiar sense of starship battle. The sharp ozone smell of scorched circuitry and the chemical stench of fire suppressant. As he ran, the stark metallic support struts lining the corridor flashed by in his peripheral vision, and the echoing wail of the alarm only served to elevate the tension in the air. A skidding stop and a turn to the right, and he faced the dark hallway leading to the shuttle bay. With a renewed burst of speed, he took off, and as his boots echoed through the deserted hallway, Katan was overcome by the sensation that he was running through the entrails of some giant, iron-bowed, dying beast. The steady, rhythmic pulsing of the warning lights now provided the only illumination, intermittently rendering his surroundings in chaotic, green-tinted snapshots of damaged components and blackened control panels. Like a trusty steed, the Presidio set waiting in the Romulan shuttle bay. Shelby rechecked the binding on the Romulan woman and locked the controls out as she moved back to the door to the runabout. Through listening through the comm channel, she knew some of the basics of where and what was going on with the away teams. The one exception was Katana and the Doctor. She hadn't heard from them in a while. She just hoped that everyone would get back soon. There had been a few tremors coupled with the Romulan warning systems which told her there wasn't much time. She tapped her comm badge. Shelby to DeCallan. DeCallan glanced at the sole cadastrian among the sea of Romulans as he tapped his badge. Go ahead, Ensign. Shelby eyed the unconscious Romulan, bound, bruised, and hopefully no longer a threat. You know how you said to be tactful and diplomatic? Well. Joseph turned away from the listening Ryan. Not now, Ensign. DeCallan out. Shelby sat back in the chair about to speak when she heard the transmission end. Slowly she looked back at the woman. Fair enough, she thought. Joseph increased his pace and shook his head. Trouble with the miners, Lieutenant Commander, smoked Ryan. DeCallan didn't look at him. Nah, she's probably just wondering what to say to the owner of this pet snake she's been looking for. It died after it shed its skin. I'll get her to ask you, aye? Liggett flicked his eyes at the smiling security chief. Touchy, Mr. DeCallan. On the pristine bridge of the Arabella, Galdar and Frida jerked upright, moving like puppets controlled by a single string. With but a glance from the captain, the Ferengi opened the channel to the away team. Galdar to James, sir, we're looking at what appears to be the beginning of a cascade failure of the structural integrity of the Romulan ship. Left unchecked, singularity containment collapse won't be far behind. Without waiting for an acknowledgement, Galdar nodded at Frida, who transmitted all of their data to the shuttle and any pads he could reach. The lieutenant had worked with the commander long enough to know how he operated, so he wasn't all surprised when no response was forthcoming. Looking up to the view screen, the image of the disintegrating ship said it all. Eric didn't need to look around him or at the data burst received by his pad to know that the ship was dying. He could feel it in its bones. Pausing to take a deep breath, he opened up a broadband communication to the ship and his team. Away team to Arabella. We are now en route back to the Presidio with 35 survivors. We're going to need those transporters to actually carry some of the load we have here. Joseph stood to one side and waved the passengers in. He looked up and smiled to himself. I love this job. The deck once again began to shake. Move. Come on, faster. He looked ahead and could see that the tall Cardassian had stopped to help a Romulan. Eric shuddered as a high-pitched whistling sound echoed in the halls of the faltering transport. The air flowed slightly faster over skin moistened from exertion. 
It was an almost cooling breeze, but the slight increase in comfort only revealed the darker truth. The containment of the singularity was failing, and the whistling sound was from it devouring the atmosphere through a pinhole fault in the casing. Soon the hole would tear itself larger and fully begin the far too quick process of consuming the vessel. Delin was getting nervous. It was as if the ship was starting to pull apart at the seams, and she knew it. There was no way around not seeing it or feeling it. The ship started making strange noises that sent chills up her spine. She couldn't leave it, though. Tapping her combat, Shelby called out. I think it's safe to say we've run out of time. Where are we at? Returning to the runabout, the ensign started up the transport and tried to lock on anyone on the away mission. It was problematic at best. Although she was an adult, she wasn't a transporter chief by any means. She needed help. Reaching up again, she tapped her comm badge and hoped that he could receive the signal. Delin to Catan, what's your location? I'm right here, Catan rounded the corner, sprinted to the shuttle and bent at the waist, hands on knees, trying to catch his breath. After a few steady inhalations, he straightened and adopted a more dignified posture. Our party got caught in a deck collapse, combat damaged. Turning around, Shelby immediately relinquished her chair to the man. Are you okay? She stopped short of asking if anyone else was okay, for as much as she wanted to ask, now simply wasn't the time. She knew that he would tell her if there was anything she needed to know. Stepping back, the woman gave him room to get himself situated. I'm fine, just a little winded, Katan replied. Dr. Dredd and a small party of Romulans are trapped near engineering. We need to see about boosting the shuttle's transporter strength. Katan stood to approach the transporter deck, then stopped short. Bound to one of the shuttle's chairs was an unconscious Romulan woman. Judging by her faint green bruises and those on Shelby's temple, there had been a bit of a scuffle. He shot a glance back at Delenn. Looks like you've had a bit of excitement in our absence. His eyes flicked briefly back at the form sitting and secured in the chair. I had a bit of a tough time checking in one of our guests. Delenn gave the lieutenant commander a annoying smirk. Her gaze briefly flipped from the still unconscious woman in the rear of the runabout, then back to the chief operations officer. The last thing she needed was for the Romulan to wake up and start more trouble. Then smoothly, Delenn switched to business again. How can I help you, sir? Kintan gave an inward sigh. Seeing one of the number unconscious and tied up might cause some bad feelings among the other Romulans. For now, though, there were more pressing issues to be resolved. We need to try and tie into the Romulan ship's power core. I need some extra EPS conduit. Kintan turned to the shuttle's replicators. Right now, it was probably the lowest priority system on the Presidio. Could you remove the facing of the replicator? I need to get as much EPS cable as you can find. You've got it. Without another word, the ensign moved across the ship and tinkered with the panel to release from the wall and into her hands. Setting the facing aside, the woman returned to the now bare opening in the wall and she began to pull out the glowing conduit. As the ensign went about her task, Catan used his dagger to pry open a floor panel near the shuttle's transporter pad. Uncoiling a length of luminescent electroplasma system conduit, he began to wrap it around his forearm. It took a little while, but she managed quite a bit of the needed conduit. Carrying over to Catan, she nodded to him. I can see if there's any more low-priority systems that I can strip them from if you need more. Thank you, Catan replied. I'm going to check the bay for a place to tap into. As he headed to the exit, he turned back to Delenn. My comm badge isn't working. Please update Commander James, Chief DeCollin, and Dr. Drett. Catan gave a meaningful look at the bound Romulan woman, then turned back to the ensign. A complete update. Wait, sir. Before Katan could leave, Delenn moved to a panel and removed a combat replacement. 
pausing for a second before he departed, the ensign tossed him a new comm badge, which he traded with the outer service one. Then with a nod, he was gone again to finish the reroute. Be ready to use the transporters. A nod, then the woman tapped her badge. Commander James, Chief DeCollin, and Dr. Dredd, this is Ensign Delin. Katan is with me in the runabout. He's going to attempt to boost the power of the Presidio's transporter by tapping into the Romulan core. There may be some destabilization, but if we work fast enough, it will balance out. Thank you, Ensign, replied James in a clipped voice as he moved to the Navy's working control panel. His fingers rapidly moved over the Romulan glyphs in an attempt to access the power control systems. Stylized glyphs shifted to a systems readout in standard Romulan. While the information was valuable, his senses told him that it wasn't the entire story. The fracture in the containment field had caused a micro-distortion in subspace. It was this distortion that was the primary cause of the transporter issues. He would need to focus to come up with a solution. Continue forward, Mr. DeCallan, I'll join you shortly. Eric quietly returned his attention to the panel at the last of the Romulans moved past his position. His thoughts went back to the problem and what he knew of the facts. Transporters were at a fraction of their capacity and it was bound to get worse as the fracture expanded. They would be trapped in the middle of a storm without an umbrella. An umbrella? He mused. Eric tapped his cum badge and calmly spoke. This is Commander James to away team and Arabella. Delina, I'm going to need Catan to get that extra power as quickly as possible. I need you to get to the engineering console and once that power is received, bring the warp engines online and create a static warp bottle with a point 72 negative variance and extend the warp field outwards 10 meters or until the extra power is fully utilized. If my theory is correct, then you'll have the ability to begin mass transportation of any life forms within the warp shell once the matter stream is refocused. Already walking to the control, Shelby gave an acknowledgement to the XO. Then she moved into the seat smoothly and pivoted her hands to the control so she could begin the calculations. With one issue being resolved, Eric addressed the Arabella. Captain, we should be returning to the ship soon, but the Posido will not be joining us. I also recommend that you focus your own transporters to target the massive life forms around Dr. Dredd's location for a site-to-site transporter sickbay. The Carlin and his charges should already be within the projected range of the warp shell. James out. Upon returning to the shuttle bay, Catan whipped out his tricorder and began scanning for a power tap. He was pleased to locate a junction just meters from the Presidio. About time we caught a break, he thought. As he knelt to expose the tap, his tricorder emitted a high-pitched beep that caught him off guard. He glanced at it, then scowled. More life signs? Catan stood slowly and spun in place, trying to pinpoint the source of the readings. As he turned, the intermittent beep of the tricorder built into a steady, high-pitched tone. He looked up to find himself facing a maintenance closet. I really don't have time for this! Switching off the tricorder's volume, Catan quietly approached the closet's closed door and dialed up the gain on his scan. He was surprised at the results. One individual, life signs strong and steady, approximately one meter tall, a child. He quietly backed away from the door and returned to the power tap. He spared the door a backwards glance and shrugged. I guess the closet is as good a place to wait as any. We'll deal with our little friend once the transporters have been modified. Catan wiped the perspiration from his hands, sleeved his brow dry, then eyed the port. Designed to accommodate Romulan hardware, the fitting wasn't exactly a perfect match for the Starfleet issue EPS cable. His eyes turned back to the tricorder. I guess it's time to improvise. With a frown of mild regret, Catan reversed his dak-da and brought the pommel down on the casing of the tricorder with a sharp crack. Two more blows and the casing began to split at the seam. 
He then carefully pried the device apart, exposing its inner workings. Slowly he pried at a small, cylindrical component vaguely resembling a spool of highly polished metallic thread. Hopefully a length of cord from the quantum accelerator will secure the fitting while withstanding the stress of the power flow. Known for its durability and conductivity, the titanium cord felt cool and slick between his fingers. Katan plugged the male end of the EPS cable into the Romulan fitting. Immediately the cable's glow intensified. As the cable began to grow warm in his hands, Katan started rapidly wrapping loops of the titanium cord around the connection. As he looked at his jury-rigged handiwork, Katan slowly shook his head with a self-depreciating smile. This looks incredibly unsafe. Seconds later, Ensign Delin's voice rang out from the runabout. Whatever you're doing, it's working, sir. Power levels are steadily rising. With her fingers dancing across the controls, Shelby started rerouting the power to the proper relays on the shuttle's transporters. I think we're close, sir. Joseph checked his tricorder. To Callan to Delenn. My group is roughly 20 meters away, but we're slowing down. We've had some minor injuries, and we're having to double back to avoid damaged sections of the ship. As soon as we're in 10 meter mark, activate the warp field. Hearing Joseph's voice over the badge, Shelby flicked her delicate fingers over to the control panel and managed to isolate the chief's communicator locked. She knew he would now be at the back of the group and would be one of the last to transport out. She had to inform him about the guest and the shuttlecraft. Understood, chief. Pausing to make sure she said this delicately, the ensign said slowly, Sir, there's something you need to know. There was another pause. I have an unconscious Romulan sitting with me. Take care of it. You know what to do. There are lots of injured people on the ship. Inwardly, DeCallan had his suspicions as to why the woman was stating it so simply. DeCallan coughed slightly and shouted to the people in front of him. <coughs> Keep moving forward. We're working on getting the transporter lock on you. A suspicious eye fell on the chief from the Cardassian officer. Legate Ryan, good work with the casualty. The Legate smiled, although obviously not convinced DeCallan meant his statement as a compliment. The Cardassian nodded and returned to attend the tired Romulan he had been carrying. Joseph backed off slightly so no one could hear his conversation. Go ahead, Delin. What's happened? Shelby eyed the Romulan woman. She came from behind, sir. Tried to attack me. I managed to hold her off, but we both have a few bruises. This wasn't good, sir. DeCallan put his hand alongside his jawline, pondering the next move. Okay. Take the emergency med kit from the shuttle's reserve unit. Give her a mild hypospray, anesthetic. Then bandage part of her face up. If anyone asks, she was injured during the rescue. Don't beam her out right away. One of us will go with her when the time comes. Rising from the seat, Shelby crossed to the reserves panel and pulled out the med kit. Understood, sir. Turning to look at the figure in the chair, she tilted her head once and said to herself, Never stops around here. Oh, and Shelby, good work, DeCallan quickly replied before he rushed to catch up to the group. Approaching the unconscious woman, Delenn knew that she could easily be faking her state of awareness. Sadly enough, she would do the same thing. Still, still, Shelby had to do this, and time was running out. Holding the hypospray firmly, she rushed in and administered it to the woman. Upon ensuring that it was working via a tricorder, Shelby began to bandage up part of the woman's face so that she would not be easily identified. 
Then the ensign found a blanket and made it appear as if her Romulan captive was more infirm than she really was. When she was finished, the feisty Romulan woman was not recognizable without digging a little, and that was good enough for her. Shelby moved back to the warp engine controls. It looked as though the runabout was almost up to full capacity, and soon it would have enough power. Whatever Catan had done had worked. Smiling, the woman rechecked the final computations, then tapped her comm badge. Commander James, I'm going to bring the engines online and create the static warp bubble. She then addressed Joseph. Commander DeCallan, please prepare yourself. This should take just a moment. On my mark, three, two, one, mark. Tapping the console, Delin began to hear the engines responding to her as she prepared the commands for the system. Joseph checked his tricorder and watched as the reading shifted to indicate the creation of the warp field. Joseph waited and let his eye drift about the ship. It shook once again, creating more debris and more sparks. They were cutting it close. To Callan to James, the warp field is active and we're safely within the perimeter. Are you in need of any assistance in your area? I'm fine, Mr. DeCallan. Stand by for transporter, Eric said and adjusted the pattern enhancer contained within the tech of his uniform. I'm en route to the runabout to gather my gear while I perform a final walkthrough. James to away team and Arabella, Eric started. Doctor, please stand by for site-to-site transport to sickbay with all the Romulan casualties. This will be followed by the transport of all remaining survivors and away team members to the cargo bay. Understood, Commander, came Ryla's tight reply as she returned the stare of the Romulans grouped about her. With that being said, Eric tapped his badge again to open communications with the Presadio's computer and spoke. James to Presadio and Arabella, begin rapid transport of all life forms within Dr. Dret and Lieutenant Commander DeCallan's position to predetermined locations. Working, replied the voice of the computer. Milliseconds later, the automated transporters of the Presadio activated in conjunction with the transporter operators aboard the Arabella and began moving the life forms from the crippled ship. The smoke-filled, darkened corridor that encompassed Ryla and her patients soon transitioned to the pristine brightness of main sickbay. As she solidified, Dr. Dret instantly snapped orders to prep Nevesh for surgery. Dr. Myela Peterson moved quickly to the Romulan side. The fabric of the senator's tunic was soaked green with blood. It was obviously a critical wound, but the red-headed physician could not spare the time to wonder how the patient acquired it. Aided by Commander Peterson, a former medical officer who came to sickbay to help when needed, Myela carefully moved the woman to a biobed. Nurse Kane and several medtechs buzzed about the survivors whose injuries were not as serious. The casualties totaled eight in all, and their injuries ranged from stab wounds and head wounds to burns, cuts, and bruises, all of which the staff was well prepared for to treat. Ryla's only concern was for the pale, gaunt figure lying before her. The senator had lost a large volume of blood, and her evacuation had not been timely. DeCallan watched as a bright yellow light began to whirl around several of the Romulan people and Leggett Rayan. The transport beam took a bit longer than usual, but they soon disappeared. Okay, everyone, looks like we're on our way out of here. Stay calm. In that brief respite, he thought about the Romulan aboard the shuttle. To calendar Commander James, we have an unconscious Romulan aboard the shuttle. Ensign Dalen was attacked whilst on guard. 
Nothing too problematic, but I suggest we have her beamed aboard with either myself or Dalen for security reasons. Understood, Eric replied in measured breaths. Route her transport to the brig and have a medic treat her wounds, and have the officers there look after her until she can speak with the captain. I need you to get on site and make sure that there are no diplomatic incidents between our guests and security. On it, sir. Decalin out. Decalin to Dalen. Dalen here, she said, diverting her eyes from the readouts, which weren't looking particularly good to her. Go ahead. Katan is on his way. Beam out with your guest as soon as you can. Get your new friend off to the brig, quietly and with no incident. I'm heading back with the last of the Romulans. Decalin out. Joseph walked to the remaining Romulan evacuees. He paused for a moment. Decalin to Katan. Dalen will be leaving as soon as she can. You still owe me that beer, big fella. I'll see you back on the ship. Joe out. Joseph turned and looked at one of the Romulans. An older man who nodded gently as the yellow beam of the transporter wrapped around them. James to Catan. I'm en route to your position. Make sure you're ready to go. If there's anything aboard the Presidio that can't be replicated, I suggest you get it to the Arabella. Also, include the micro-torpedo stores and any other hardware we can salvage without compromising your work. Just another day at the office, the XO thought to himself while moving through the deserted and debris-strewn corridors. If not for the imminent death that would follow should they stay any longer, it reminded him of the destructive potential of three half-Vulcan children when they were fully committed to their play. When the formerly slight suction effect turned to a true breeze, even battle-hardened nerves became strained, and the once calm walk turned into a brisk jog. Sitting in the chair, the runabout began to shake and rumble under her. Spreading her hands firmly against the console for balance and peace of mind, Dalen shifted her eyes back up to the screens and readouts. The containment field was starting to show signs of collapse. Rising, Shelby moved back to the cargo area where the Romulan woman was still unconscious. Unsecuring her, she slung her arm across her shoulder, and she limped them towards the door. Time to go, Princess. Dropping down onto the cargo bay floor, Shelby nearly lost her footing from the uneven distribution of supporting the woman. Eric smiled as he saw the open doors of the shuttle bay. A badge tap later, he spoke. James to Dalen, I'm seconds away from the shuttle bay. You are clear to leave with your prisoner. Tapping her comm badge. Dalen to Arabella, two to bring him over to the brig. Holding the limp form, the scene before the ensign shimmered gold, and she felt the odd sensation of being transported. They were gone, leaving only three life forms remaining on the dying ship. Alright, that's going to do it for this week's The Ready Room. Hopefully, Jen, Rick, and I will have some free time and we'll be able to do some commentary. Uh, if not, you will get another 20 or so post-readings for the next Ready Room. We're going to try to get back on schedule. I know things have been crazy and we haven't been putting these out weekly like we had hoped to so hopefully we'll get back on schedule but i just want to thank all the readers all the writers and uh rico for letting us use trucks and sci-fi anyways thanks guys and this is kenny hailing frequencies closed the ready room theme and other rpg music was composed by rick moyer all other music was obtained through the PodSafe music network Read more about the adventures of the USS Arabella at treksandsci-fi.com. Greetings, guildies. I'm Kenny. And I'm Jenny. After listening to this great podcast, why don't you turn into our podcast? Knights of the Guild. The official fan podcast for the web series The Guild. Each month, we'll bring you the latest news about the Guild cast, including what projects they're working on and what conventions they'll be attending. Also, we'll be updating you on the current season. We'll talk about some behind-the-scenes fun of Season 2. As well as having cast, crew, and fan interviews. So head over to iTunes and subscribe to Knights of the Guild. 
or go to our website for a direct download at knightsoftheguild.podbean.com. Zaboo! <laughs> Hi, I'm Rick Moyer, and I want to tell you about my brand new podcast. It's called Take Him With You. Every week I talk about what's going on in my geeky little world of television, music, and in my faith. My hope is that in a world that can sometimes be really depressing, for that at least a few moments you can be encouraged and smile a bit. So come check it out. www.takehimwithyou.com The weekly podcast that's spiritual, not religious. I'd love to have you listen. Thanks. Hello there, my name is Med. And this is David Frost. You're not David Frost. Alright, I mean, this is Mark. And we are the present. Mark? Alright, get on with it. Okay. And we're the presenters of Waffle on Podcast. And we like to talk about crap TV broadcast between 1960 to 1999. Would you say it's crap? Some of it. Really? <laughs> Especially the British stuff. But we were having a podcast about that, so let's move up on that. Unbelievable. You can find us at the http colon forward slash forward slash waffleon.podbean.com Do not smile when I say the word colon. Oh, I'm not! <laughs> no, I don't think he likes you at all. <laughs> no, I don't like you either. <laughs> I love that. That is so great. That's good writing. Yes, because it's not much dialogue. And because <clears throat> George Lucas didn't write all the... <coughs> <laughs> I'm Jen and I'm Angela and when you're not listening to this glorious podcast we would love to have you listen to ours the anomaly podcast that's a n o m a l y podcast.com 